Moncrief on News Talk. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again. 53106 is our text number that will cost you 30 cent. You can follow us on Twitter or send us an email to afternoon at newstalk.com. Joanna Fortune joins us once again for our parenting slot. Good afternoon, Joanna. Good afternoon. Uh, here's your first question. A family who have recently moved, uh, who have recently become refugees from Ukraine, will be staying with myself and my family of three young children. The family also includes children who hopefully will play with my own. I have a lovable, sensitive and bright but boisterous elder six-year-old. We have never played gun or sword type games at home and I don't usually engage with that type of play. However, he loves to point a sword uh, or some such at his sister in play, never in aggression, but he is fairly theatrical about it. I'm worried about this type of play with children who have come from any violent situation and the impact it might have on them. How can I talk to my six-year-old to help him be aware of this? Or can I? He's bright and understands that I don't enjoy certain play because guns and swords can hurt people in real life. I'm also not sure how best to help him uh, understand appropriately the impact it might have on other children, as all his friends seem to enjoy the same play, despite my best efforts to redirect. Oh, I mean, there's layers to this. Okay, I mean, first of all, I fully appreciate, you know, as a parent, your sensitivity. But I'm from the outset going to suggest that you hold a space for play as play and you do not intrude on the children's process, be the be it the children from the Ukrainian family moving in with you, your own children, other children. Do you know, because and we've talked about this before, Sean, but kids play with dark themes in their play. Like anyone yeah. who's watched a small child, you know, kill everything on the play yeah. mat in front of them and then magically bring it all back to life. <laughs> it's it's part of the development of their play. And the darkness that we see in children's play is reflective of the darkness that is part of life. You're not to get all existential about it, but there is there's light and dark in life and there's light and dark in play because play fuels a fully lived life, especially for children. So that type of playfulness is really, really important because play, and you'll all have heard me say it before, is the language of children, but it it really helps children to process their experiences, to make meaning of life events. And by life events now, I mean everything from a little hiccup with a friend in the playground to a, a larger scale life event like a death or a new baby or indeed mm. displacement because of war. You know, so these play is how children will make meaning of it. And I wouldn't assume by any stretch of the imagination that children who are fleeing the type of trauma that people are fleeing at the moment and trauma is the word, it doesn't mean that they will be afraid of playing with fighting or war themes or sword fighting or gun fighting. In fact, you might see the opposite emerge yeah. that in order and in a bid to make meaning of very overwhelming and confusing experiences and in a bid to gain mastery over that tension rousing experience, I will play with it, actually. Mm. And I'll play with it where I'm in a very dominant role and I'm perpetrating what I experienced because it allows me to play it through. And to mm. process it. So and equally, just as you're predicting, you could have children who are like, oh, I don't want to play like that. But why don't you trust your bright little six year old yeah. to be able to read the social engagement system cues of the children that he's going to be playing with, be it the children from the family joining your family or the children he's playing with out and about in his community in general. Kids are very good at kind of, here's what I'm playing and I'm so excited, but they get a read on, and you're not as excited as me. I need to kind of modify (laughs) what's going on here to elicit a different response from you. 
it's really important way of developing social skills, regulation, collaboration and that reciprocity, critical thinking stuff. That is the very point of this type of play. So and also you refer in this letter to you know, fighting or roughhousing or that kind of play as this type of play. You don't like it. You don't encourage it. And as adults, we can be sensitive to themes like that. Our children don't experience them in the same way. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, if you don't give children a sword to play with. And I remember this from my own childhood, too. Do you know what makes a great sword? The the insert of the tinfoil. And as yeah. soon as you run out of tinfoil or kitchen roll, I'm running off with those cardboard inserts and I'm making those into mm. weapons. And you don't give me a gun to play with. I'll point my finger and make a gun out of my hand. It's quite natural for children to play like this. And we need not to be afraid of the dark themes in our children's play. Play fighting, you know, in general, outside of this context is actually it's it's great. And lots. it's very physical, very active, very robust. So you get a lot of kind of vestibular and proprioceptive input as you jump and crash and, ju- you know, roll around the place. You get a lot of physical activity out of it. But it's also a great way to release tension and energy, burn mm-hmm. off energy. So kids playing like this. Actually, there's tons of pro-social benefits. So I hope I've answered your question, really, but just saying. I totally get the sensitivity. And if you do see, of course, this is not working out, then as a parent, you step in. But where possible, we should just follow our kids lead with this. It strikes me as well that this Ukrainian family probably got out of Ukraine before fighting reached them. So it wouldn't have been probably isn't the experience of the children that the children actually saw bullets flying or anything. They're probably more traumatised by having to all of a sudden leave behind and, everything and they know and, and arrive in a totally a strange itself, place. Isn't yeah. it? You know, and, and just being surrounded by narrative, like, you know, at the beginning of this, we may have been given advice to try and protect our really young under seven kids from news. It's just not possible mm. because it's everywhere and it's better that we talk about it. So making sure that your, your son is aware that actually the family coming to join yours has had a really difficult time and a really difficult journey and let's maybe invite them. What would you like to play? Yeah, you know, yeah, and and yeah. because that's just you, you can come at that like no more. If you were having a play date, you might say, oh, let the little kid coming into our house, let them decide what to play, give them a turn. But I really think children will work this out between them. Yeah, uh, the, um, this is an odd one. Uh, my six year old son was named after my then husband. However, we have since had an ugly divorce and I can't stand the sight of my ex. Now, every time I see my son, His name reminds me of my ex and I feel like it's making my ex a constant unwanted presence in my life. Should I try to change my son's name uh, if it means I will get a reprieve or call him by a nickname? Oh, there's so much in here. (laughs) I'm going to go carefully here. There's so much in here. Might be parenting. You know, and, and actually there is a part of that I'm going to say straight away that I am suggesting that you seek out personal therapy and not because I'm going to say, oh, you need therapy. Actually, I'm going to say you deserve a space where you can work out a lot of complex themes that you're mentioning here. An ugly divorce is exactly what it says on the tin. You know, you're going to carry some emotional battle scars you know, from that. And you you do need a space where you can process and make meaning because your son is not your ex, but he is of the two of you. OK, and you you may not be able to, in your own words, stand the sight of your ex. Um, and you say that the name is making him a constant unwanted presence in your life. But actually, you have a child together. He yeah. is a presence in your life, regardless of what you call your son, regardless of what you call your ex. 
Like yeah. he is a presence in your life because you share a son together. So what, and I'm, I don't, I'm not making assumptions about the access arrangements or contact arrangements or shared custody here. But regardless, your your son is of the two of you. So I do think, see, you know, taking a therapy space, seeking out a process where you can kind of really think all of that out loud, feel all of that out loud, say all of the unsayable things to in a safe space that you can make meaning and process it would be a really good investment in how you choose to move forward with your son and with your life beyond this experience. Yeah. Um, like your son is six years old. He has a name. He has an identity and his identity is ongoing and evolving and developing. But I wouldn't think that you can change his name at this point and certainly not without talking to your son first. But I also or the don't son's father. Oh, 100 yeah. percent. And I also don't think it's going to change anything about how you're feeling. The no, problem no. isn't the name. Mm. The problem is everything that went on in the, as you call it, ugly divorce. Yeah. So, no, your son is your son. He has a name. He has a name that you were perfectly happy to choose. And it's so important what we name our children. You know, it's our first gift to our children. A name that we choose is loaded with meaning and desire and intent. And that hasn't changed. So, no, I would try as best you can to leave your son out of this as you work through what you're left holding from this divorce and do mind yourself in that. Like the best thing you can do for your son and going and for yourself going forward is to take care of yourself. Yeah. And perhaps also if I mean, again, as you say, not not making assumptions about the custody arrangements, but there'll be some contact between the, the mm-hmm. little boy and his father. And, you know, she's going to have to come to a, an emotional accommodation with that as well. Oh, and, you, and we've said it as well, Sean, in other sort of related questions on different themes of this. But really what you want is that your son isn't exposed to those very adult feelings and hurt feelings between you two adults. Yeah. That actually your son is as best you can project it because, you know, he is what you had between you at a point in time when your relationship was probably, I'm guessing, I don't again don't want to assume, but probably a lot better than it currently is. Yeah. Uh, Kieran Sexton in to suggest ask your ex to change his name. <laughs> <laughs> She might have a nickname for the ex. Yeah, she probably has one already, uh, I'm guessing. And she probably wouldn't want to uh, extend that one. Uh, If you slightly adapt your son's name like David Jr. to Dave, it might be a little bit easier for you. Uh, for use as Evie. I don't know, it's the child's name. Is it's it the it child's belongs name. to the child? Absolutely. Yeah. I would feel very strongly that that's not something you can just do. Yeah. I have a 12 year old daughter who is a constant nail biter and also picks and bites the skin around her fingers. This has been going on for years now. I try not to overcorrect and I think she is not aware that she's doing it. I see her unconsciously pick at the skin and bite at the nails. Her hands are becoming more unsightly. She wants to stop but can't seem to help herself and some friends have commented on her hands. She is a confident kid but can be a worrier and takes negative feedback poorly. You know, we all take negative feedback poorly, (laughs) you know, just and the fact that she's a worrier, you know, I'm also maybe inferring here that she may be a more sensitive, deep feeling child. So everything lands a little bit harder, Mm. you know, especially when you're at that age of 12, you're really on the cusp of adolescence. And, you know, the world is tough and you're very self-conscious and all of that at that age. I mean, I think I would approach this with kindness and nurture as an approach and look at offering, you know, and not in exchange, not bartering, not saying if you don't bite your nails, then I'll give you a mini manicure. Just do the mini manicure. 
make it nice that that feeling because if you're biting the skin around your fingers that's quite sensitive mm. to the touch but if you can do something really kind and focus on you know cuticle oil and rubbing oil in there to take care of the bitten fingers rather than to critique or, yeah. you know, say this is a problem. I think that can and offer her just say, you know, especially if she's conscious of it and she wants to stop it. You know, you could say to her, how about we do a deal where I'm going to give you a nonverbal cue? You know, I'm going to give you a little sign because I don't want to be nagging you. I don't want to keep saying it because I think that's a lot for you because she's sensitive to this negative feedback. Um you know, so if I tug my ear or if I do a, a special way of clearing my throat, you'll know that I'm just drawing your attention to this and do a lot of the sensory stuff because the mini manicure is lovely because you can get like a little bowl of warm, nice soapy water with the nice smelling soap and the soft, fluffy towel and hand cream and nail polish and oils. And you can really do a really nice sensory input piece there. But any kind of fidget toy or sensory item as a transitional object to distract and redirect her could also be really, really effective here. And just get playing in general, get playing, laugh together, because laughter is a great way to a natural way to release tension. And again, she won't have that nervous energy if she has other ways of releasing it. So lots and lots of sensory play and sensory play at 12 is entirely possible beyond even just mini manicures. You can do baking, you can make very, you know, bespoke, quirky, you know, Play-Doh that isn't just your basic Play-Doh recipe, but mixing in colours and glitter and scented oils and fresh herbs. And you can make it really her own type and she can then mould. You could play um, sculptionary with it and make it developmentally appropriate. But anything like that, um, I think, and just distracting her when you see she's beginning to do it, give her the nonverbal cue. And if that doesn't work, give her a job to do. Get her to come out and help you chop the veg or wash the veg for the dinner or mm. find you something in the back of the press or can you go and do this for me or that for me. Keep her busy for a period of time until that impulse passes. Yeah. It's actually it sounds a bit like trying to give up cigarettes or something. It's, it's you know, not with an dissimilar. Urge. It's yeah. all of those habits because mm. it, and you know we have to in one way if we can form a negative habit the good news is we're also capable of forming a yeah. positive habit. It, the bad news is it takes time. It yes. takes time to break the pattern and redirect it to something else. But if you're thinking that the co- what's underpinning this overt behaviour is primarily worry, then rather than playing symptom whack-a-mole where you deal with the finger biting and up pops a new symptom mm, and you deal with yeah. that and you, you know, instead of doing that Get curious about what is the underlying emotional state, the worry, what's causing and driving that and invest in working that out. And maybe the finger biting or whatever symptom might replace it will deal with itself. Uh, just a couple of comments on uh, the question about the family taking in uh, the, the Ukrainian family. Uh, Kate says, um, my lovely, sensitive and kind brother who currently is making room in his home for a Ukrainian family was rarely seen without a weapon in his hands between the age of four and ten, uh, says Kate. And Damien on Twitter says something similar, even more kind of an acute example of this. My dad was a child in London during the Blitz. He said they used to collect bits of shrapnel to swap in the playground. Absolutely. It's about mastering it. It's about taking the real experience and using the imaginative world of play to go, wow, what's this about? And to Mm. feel a part of something. So kids playing like that is healthy, normal. Yeah, because you'd imagine when Damien's father grew up, he kind of, you realise, good God, what were we playing with? I know. And looking back at what kids are exposed to, but how kids normalise the situations they find themselves in. 
you know, how quickly that can happen as well. And that in time, you know, we have a lot of people coming into our country and, you know, there's an initial kind of, I think, you know, the practical stuff about mm. what do people need. But let's not forget, there's a lot of trauma within the oh, experience yeah. and journey that is bringing people here. And we do oh, yeah. need to make space for that as well. You are listening to The Moncrief Show on News Talk. We're going to take a break. After that, how can I help my daughter through a breakup? Moncrief on News Talk. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again. 53106 is our text number that will cost you 30 cents. You are listening to The Moncrief Show on News Talk. Joanna Fortune uh, is still with us. A uh, couple of comments on uh, the nail-biting uh, 12-year-old. Um, it, hit, it, it hit a chord with a lot of people. Uh, that One text says, I was that nail-biting child until I was 16. First day working in a fancy restaurant in London with all the glam girls from all over. Put a stop to it instantly. Aileen says, this was me. I bit my nails until I was 18. They used to bleed. Uh, bit through the, uh, the stop and grow was so difficult to stop. Uh, but took it a nail at a time and eventually managed to, to break it, uh, uh, says Aileen. That's a nice way to structure it, yeah. isn't it? Let's take care of your pinky and then extend it out. So that's actually a really nice way of doing it. Yeah. yeah. Claire says, I love nail biting too for years. Yum. Oh. That's not a, that's not the right <laughs> not message, helpful. Claire, to be sending out. Uh, if you have a question, of course, for Joanna, you can send it out to afternoon at newstalk.com. The next question is this. My 15-year-old daughter has gone through what seems to be the most dramatic breakup in the history of humanity. I have assured her that there will be other boyfriends, but that only seemed to make her more upset. They go to school together and she hates having to see him every day. I want to be there for her, but I don't know what I can say to make it better for her. What should I do? Stop trying to make it better. Yes. You know, just make this a lot easier on the two of you. You know, when you say, oh, don't worry, there'll be loads of boyfriends, that is not reassuring, especially at the moment when the oh, feeling the is worst thing you can say. it's never going to get any better than this and I again like I, I you know and I always say this but I'm going to say it again avoid the pull to rescue her from these difficult feelings because this is really unpleasant and challenging but coming through it will be a really important learning process for mm. her as well and she's going to discover a lot about herself in 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 the processing of this you know she likely didn't see this breakup coming or whatever led to the breakup, you know, the contributing factors. There's always contributing factors and many variables. But whatever it is, she likely didn't see that coming. And she may well be really confused as well as upset because a part of her life that she derived joy and pleasure from has ended and maybe even ended abruptly. And she's allowed to feel upset about that because that's upsetting. Mm, So her feeling upset is congruent with the context of what she's going through. So I think, you know, be available, certainly, you know, validate her feelings, but empathize so that that means listen more than you talk. Yeah. You know, yeah. be available to hear her out. And when she talks, no matter what she's saying, don't jump in and go, ah, no, that's very over the top or come on now. But none of that. <laughs> nobody wants that sense in this moment. So instead, reflect back what you're hearing. I hear you're very upset. I know, gosh, this is really hard. And you're going to use acceptance and empathy. And you know, at the end, even wonder, look, what can I do to help you right now? What about if I make us some hot chocolate? Would you like a snack? What about sticking your runners on and we just get outside for a few minutes for a walk? And if she's like, no, no, I want to hide under a blanket, just say, okay, you can hide under a blanket today and tomorrow we'll do something, you know, so that you're validating what's happening in the moment. Allow her to vent. You do not need to have an answer 
to her venting. You do not need to have a solution, but you just need to be available. What I would do as well, though, and as much that you're going, oh, my God, Joanna, how long am I going to have to listen to it, though? Bite my tongue and go, ah, come on. Instead, when you feel like I've really been listening a lot, that you encourage her to also talk to her friends, meet up with her friends, invite a couple of friends over, spend time so that actually what you're doing is you're amplifying and strengthening up the other positive relationships in her life that she can draw support from and Mm. lean into. And you're reinforcing you've got lots of positive relationships in your life. Let's let's look to those and that. But don't push her into getting over this too quick because she won't. She'll just stop talking to you about it. And that's not the same thing. So I think you just need to give it. This is really hard. You know, it's really hard. And especially if it's her first experience of this kind of heartbreak, it can feel all consuming and that it won't pass. We might know, of course, it's going to pass. But you know how we know that? By going through it ourselves at that age and the benefit of adulthood and looking back. We can't catapult her there at 15 to the perspective of a 35 year old or 40 year old. We can't do that. Um, It would be to deny her her experience. So go slowly, go sensitively. And, you know, I really feel for her that she has to see him every day. That is tough. That's really tough. tough, So, you know, there is something that you can go, you're right. That's really hard. That's really challenging. By the way, you will be going to school. You're not getting out of going to school because of it. But can I drop you to school or pick you up? Can I make it easier for you to get in and out of school while you're working through this? And in saying that, you're emphasising while you're working through this, you are working through this. Yeah, I suppose it's the thing we do for for all sorts of situations that it's an emotional, it's 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 being overwhelmed with feelings and we try to fix it with logic, which will never fix it. And of course, it's the impulse because you see your 15 year old devastated and Mm. you just want to make it better. Of course you do. You're her parent. Yeah. But she doesn't want you to make it better. She wants you to just help her to feel miserable while she feels miserable. Yeah. And no more than with the previous question we had about not making her son's name. She probably had had that experience of breaking up with people before. But even as a grown adult, you break up with somebody and it's still overwhelming. Of course it is, because we invest so much of ourselves in relationships, no Mm. matter how old we are. It's all about, you know, opening up. We're vulnerable. We share a lot of ourselves. And then you're like, (gasps) I can't believe I shared all of that. Now I want it back and I can't get it back. And it's so hard. Uh, Nora says, uh, my teenage daughter is also going through a breakup at the moment. I find she has no motivation for anything, not even meeting her friends. Yeah. And that's why I would that's why I mentioned encouraging that even if it's, you know, come on, we invite someone over or try to do a small plan with her because it's that kind of shutdown, isn't it? That in our autonomic nervous system, when we're like, I want to shut down the world, you know, that sense of pull down the blackout Mm, blinds, hide under the weighted blanket and shut the world out. We need something that will give us that motivation towards more activation to get up and have a shower, call somebody, get out for a walk. So if you can motivate her to do something that's intersubjective, like even if it is, come on, we go for a lap around the estate. It'll take us 10 minutes. It's dark out. No one will see us. Let's just get up and go for a quick walk. That's helpful. Yeah. Uh, Your advice of not trying to rescue from difficult emotions and just validate it and acknowledge it. uh, Is this also applicable to a four and a half year old? She's very emotional, dramatic and deep and can overreact a lot. Yeah, I mean, it is not in as explicit a way as I've just done with a 15 year old. What's the level for a four year old's overreaction? At the same time, it is at four and a half. Don't forget, they're really only coming into that capacity to be able to do cause and effect thinking really Mm. consistently. So when I'm in my feelings at four and a half, 
I am my feelings. Like I, when I'm angry, it yeah. is everything. When I'm sad, I'm devastated. Everything can feel at that too much level. So I definitely you don't dust them off and go, you're grand, you're grand now, come on, up and out. But at the same time, you're like, oh my goodness, you know, you're having such big feelings and let's dance our feelings, let's shake them, let's stamp them out. I know a great feelings dance and a feelings song and you just kind of redirect and distract still at that age. So you're more bringing them out, but not dismissing or minimising. That's really what we want to avoid. Yeah. Okay, we'll do uh, we'll do one more question. Uh, we'll do the last question, I think, okay. about the uh, 21 month old, just because yeah. all, all the perfect parents out there can enjoy judging this particular parent. <laughs> uh, my 21 month old little girl is obsessed with, with mobile phones. Whenever she sees my phone or my partner's phone, she demands to have it and play with it. She can already navigate the phone, can choose her favourite YouTube videos and can get into the Netflix app to watch her favourite movie, Shrek. It is almost terrifying to see how naturally she can use the phone at such a young age. How do we wean her off it without causing tantrums? Ah, now, I mean, you probably gave it to her because there were tantrums and now you want her to give it up without tantrums. It's just not going to happen. But I also am going to challenge that your 21-month-old is not addicted to your phones. What our little kids at this age are doing is they look to us and what consumes and interests us. Mm -hmm. And if every time they look at us, they see us staring into our phones, what they are seeing is that gadget in your hand is the most fascinating, interesting thing in the world. Of course, I now want it. But it's not because I want the phone. It's I want what is consuming all of your attention. I want what you are fascinated with. And I'm taking that cue. Like, And that's all of us, by the way. We all use our phones too much. We all have them in our back pockets or our hands. And, you know, even when we're sitting down to maybe watch a TV show with our kids, if we're honest, we're probably scrolling our social media while they're watching something. And even when they Mm. glance at us, that's what they see us doing. So if you want to break her use or her engagement with phones, it does start with yourself and making sure that she doesn't see the phone. She can't have what she doesn't see. Yeah. You know that it's not in your hand. It's not in your pocket. That when she looks up to see what you're doing, she sees you looking back at her or whatever else you might be up to, reading a book or doing a jigsaw or other things that you can cue her as being really interesting and engaging. And, you know, and again, this isn't judgment, by the way, because I think, you know, no matter who's out there listening, we could all tut-tut at ourselves for this. I think we've, we all do too much of this screen time. But at 21 months old, really the type of play that she needs, that she's drawing from the phone, you know, that kind of the music, the songs, the, dare I say it, the Coco Melon of it all, the most watched show on <laughs> Netflix globally. Um, you know, that all of that, you can do that. You can sing. You can dance. You can do nursery rhymes. You can be silly. You can be flamboyant. You can be playful. Everything that she's seeing on the screen that's interesting her, you can replicate. So that's how you'll break it, is that you become more interesting, more engaging than the gadget and that you don't it's not something she sees you having it. I know that's hard. You may go on, well, I have to work. Okay, but when you're at work, be at work. And when you're with her, be with her. Put the phone away. Yeah, you do see. And I and this is certainly not a judgment because I've done it too. You're in you're in a queue for the vets or something, and and you know you have a little one in a cot. Yeah, 
and you know they're going to start and they start pulling to get out of, of the cot so you just hand them a phone that keeps them We've all possible. done that and any yeah. parent who's ever been in an A&E department for hours for has instance, 100% yeah. done it and far from judgment this is about picking your battles you haven't derailed your child's development by managing a very stressful situation in the best way you possibly can um, you know that's that's fine it's when it's most of the time it's not yes, that. Yeah. Then the phone is just something that's a once in a while thing and that's not the same as me want as a small child wanting it all the time. Yeah. And it's okay for her to want it. It's not up to her if she gets it because sometimes we get a little bit afraid of oh I just want to avoid the inevitable tantrum and the fallout so I'm not going to give it but actually if you want to break a cycle of behaviour you're going to have to go through that and there might be tantrums but you know what you'll redirect her and distract her with something interesting you'll sing put music on without the the video or just get something going that's more interesting to her than having a tantrum on the floor mm. and she will come through that she's also coming into an age of protest just to anyway, put that out there yes, so yeah. you know don't psychopathologize it 21 month olds can go much louder and longer than we can and that's a developmental skill they have so it is all about once she's safe and you're going oh you're very angry and you're really cross and when you know I'm going to wait here and I'll be the calm we don't tell our kids at that age to calm we shouldn't tell anyone to calm down <laughs> yes. when they're upset we can be the calm for them and that's about making other options more appealing and inviting than the thing they want yeah Denise says, I've started watching my kids' favourite film with my partner because we actually enjoy it. Uh, yeah. They've only probably watched it nine or ten times. I mean, when, when you get, get into the hundreds. Times, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's a whole lot. When you're dreaming <laughs> that we shouldn't talk about Bruno, it's a different thing. <laughs> you can <laughs> recite the film. Though I do. I can't, it's one of those stories now, I can't remember who told me, but somebody told me a story about, you know, a toddler when they were given a real book. They tried swiping it. Oh, yeah. And were or, puzzled or as to why it didn't work. to yeah. expand it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's, that's the world we live in. Joanna, thanks a million Thank uh, for coming into us today. Joanna Fortune there. You are listening to The Moncrief Show on News Talk. We're going to take a break. After that, the people who can launch nuclear missiles. Moncrief on News Talk. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again.